Welcome to the On Course Podcast presented by New England Golf Journal. I am Sean Melia, and I have to my right, as always, Jim McCabe. Jim, how are you doing? Hi. Well, just came back. I'm winter thaw. I'm thawing out. Yeah. It's time to get a little warmer. I was out at Pebble Beach. Got absolutely hammered with rain, hurricane, wind, all the good stuff. So I'm kind of just thawing out from all that. Yeah, that 54 hole event out in Pebble. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. the 54 holes seemed like it was 154 <laughs> holes, but yeah, it was it was vintage Pebble Beach weather. Yeah. Any any takeaways just from being there from the week? The the signature event thing, small field, um, Amser, the amateur side was shrunk considerably. What was the vibe? I'll say this. The weather was horrible. Yet, I think we all went in with the attitude, at least the people I, my attitude, and I think it was consistent with every. The jury's out. We'll see. Yep. We were all pretty stunned and surprised in a good way at the crowds. They were. Okay. There were some pretty good crowds. Um you know, I was I, I walked the last four holes with Wyndham Clark when he was looked like he was going to shoot fifty seven, fifty eight, yeah. fifty nine. Settled for sixty, and it was good. It was good vibe. And listen, there aren't a lot of golf courses that people will pay just to say, "Hey, I, I played Pebble Beach. I walked yep. Pebble Beach." But Pebble Beach is in that. Right. I I love it. I told a friend of mine I would rather play Pebble Beach in the rain than any TPC course in sunshine. Okay, I ju- oh, that's I ju- fair. I just I, I love Pebble that much. It was tough, 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 tough weather. We'll see about the tournament. I, th- I think it's gonna be okay. Yeah, but we don't have the time right now to discuss the whole <laughs> landscape of the PGA Tour sure. because yeah. it's so different. But yeah, Pebble's Pebble. I love it. Yeah, and then the other thing I just wanted to pick your brain about which i dropped on you right before we hit record and and part of me wishes we had your reaction on on tape but (laughs) the usga kind of has slowly rolled out some new usam um exemption and qualifying rules expectations i don't Mm -hmm. really know the right word it's also i didn't tell you this part before we hopped on the junior and the u.s women's am has some different things going on too so the news is and you can read about this on on the website as well, I put together a little something just because it's a lot and to try to kind of hmm. just process it all in, in uh, yeah. auditorially can be tough. But in in short, the U.S. Amateur, the biggest amateur event in the country, and some would say in the world, but maybe folks in, in England might have something to say about mm, it. Yeah, um, you would. You'd, you'd get a fight. <laughs> yep, for sure. Has always had a 36-hole grueling qualifier, and they have tweaked it where players will now be able to play or will have to play an 18-hole local qualifier and then move on if they do to a final qualifier at a different date at a different venue. So now we've got suddenly kind of two different days that players will be playing in order to qualify for the U.S. Amateur. This year it's in Hazeltine um, up up in Minnesota. So that's one little difference. And then the other difference, which is super exciting for this region, I think, is that Every one of the six states in New England will send their state amateur champion to the USAM. So if you if you win the US if you win the state am, you are automatically going to the USAM, which is a really amazing perk. You think yeah. about a kid like it, Ryan Downs winning last year. 
right. will not be going this year, but if he wins the Mass Am again at Framingham, he's booked his ticket. So all six, and then the Northeast Am, which is an elite amateur series event, and the New England Am winner will also get berths into the U.S. Amateur. So kind of a that's kind of great. You just you you're right. You just threw this at me. My initial <laughs> reaction is I like all of it. Yeah, I, I do. I especially love state am is state amateurs are special. They need to stay special. Yep. You can't. I, I get frustrating when I look at. I know good amateur players kind of bypassing something. Uh huh. Maybe to keep points his or her ranking mm-hmm. where it is i don't like that part i like tradition i like history state amateur winning your state amateur yep should be a big deal it should be and i think it i think for 90 percent of the players 95 percent of the players it is a big deal and this kind of puts a stamp of approval that you've done sp- something special not only will you put your name in in the record book along great players in our region, but you you get your little per- reward, your little perk. You get to go to the national amateur. Yep, I love that. The two day thing, I I do like layering it out. I like okay, you've done nicely, but I always. I always thought the U.S. Open qualifying lost something a little bit when it took away the 36 – I think it was a 36-hole qualifier local. Oh, I you, didn't know You that. had to play 36 holes. Both times. So it was a 72 holes in, in total. I think so. If I, okay. I could be wrong, but I, I, I seem to remember that. I know it's the two layers of, okay, yeah, you got through local. Yep. Now you got to go to the, the – the, the regional qualifier. I like that. I yeah. do. Now it's a little more golf, but listen, a lot of these, a lot of the kids we're talking about yep. for the U.S. Amateur, they, they're going to make the time for it. I hope other tournaments kind of don't lose, lose something because, oh, well, there's another day I have to, uh huh. I could see that happening, but yep. I, I, I don't know. I kind of like it. I think, I think, I think USGA usually puts a lot of thought into stuff like this, and we'll see. We don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to be involved in these as a player. I know that, but I do love. I, I, I my initial reaction is I like it. Yeah, it's it's the other kind of piece to it is it allows the USGA to give some exemptions into the final qualifying. So okay. they so the other kind of piece even in the state ams is all six I think cuz some are some are stroke play amateurs and some are match play I or maybe every everything in mass in everything in New England is is stroke play or I'm sorry is match play if you are a semifinalist in match play or a top 3 in stroke play you automatically get final exemption final qualifying exemption into the 2020 five in this case in 2024 so you get to skip so like local qualifying will definitely will have maybe a different feel because it'll be the the i'm not going to say the play isn't as good but it will there's going to be so many guys who have who have exemptions already into the final qualifying that local qualifying will be interesting it they're trying to make the field stronger it's it feels like to me because 36 holes you could you you always get a couple guys who just have a 
lightning in a bottle day yeah. and have an awesome no 36 question. holes. And maybe the USJ is trying to kind of filter out, I don't know, four, five, six, seven, ten guys like that in the field every year. And this is one way to do it where, like, you got to play 18 good holes and then you got to go play 18 really good holes somewhere else. You got to travel a little farther. You can't just pick a course that you feel good on and kind of go dominate for 36 holes. I don't love that it is asking a lot more of golfers and it's asking a lot more of guys, mid-ams and people who might have jobs and families who then have to suddenly get take another day off from work, maybe have to travel to, I mean, if you want to play in these things, you got to go maybe see the golf course, have a practice round, Stay at stay a night in a hotel. Like all of those things kind of start to add up a little bit too, which makes it feel like they're filtering out so a a, a subset of people well, y- yes. who can't make that uh, work. We we do know the college kids that in the they're playing golf. They they that's what they do in the golf. The, yeah, in the summer they play a lot of golf. Yep. It to them it probably well it adds another really good tournament that I wanted to add in but I might take that maybe I skip the I don't know I'm just picking something out the Worcester County amateur sure maybe else I won't play maybe some of those tournaments will will lose a a player or two but the bigger picture the USGA I think they absolutely are trying to okay if you're really good not only should you Get yourself to local comfortably. Now test yourself regionally against. Yeah, I I can see it. Yeah, I mean I, when I go back and look, and we're not going to go going out, but I I was like the 2018 was a U.S. amateur at Pebble Beach. Yep, Victor Hovland. Victor Hovland. I was looking at the field. And trying, I had a four or five guys, and I'm like, well, why wasn't this guy there? Why wasn't this guy? They were amateurs. And the answer is they one day of local qualify, and they maybe only shot whatever, two, two, two under, yep. two over, good score but not good enough. I think now it this, they, they were short of getting more of – they're going to still lose a, a couple of good players. Sure. But I think they are going to strengthen their field. Yeah. I mean, they've also expanded world the world amateur golf rankings. Wagger, it used to be the top 50 are just – you're in no matter what. Right. And now it's the top 100 are in automatically. So a kid like Cole Anderson, who's ranked 44th in the world right now from Maine, is going to get in. Get in. He doesn't have to go qualify. He's, he's already in, which might change how the qualifiers work too, right? You take out 100, 100 of the best players in the world who don't have to go to qualifying. You're probably There's probably 50 guys right. in that group that would have had to go qualify in some respect. Like Michael Thor Bjornsson, he's going to be a pro by August anyways, but like he was already in. Ben James, already in. He's already not going in. to qualifying. He's He qualified last year just based on his excellent play. So I think it's, it's going to be interesting. It, over the course of a couple of years, obviously, we'll kind of get a sample of are there fewer mid-ams in the field? Are there fewer of mm-hmm. the older? But you always get the stories of some older guys who qualify in their 50s who can make it through and have a really good 36 holes, and maybe they'll get final yeah. qualifying. Yeah, I mean, the old age, Jay Siegel was a yeah. USAM threat. Buddy Marucci. Yep. Mark Plummer, who was on my, with us uh, great, my, in, uh, in, in the fall. Yeah, me. But, you know, time marches on, and the reality is these – these 
kid, there's so many of them yeah. in that <laughs> yeah. 16 to 24 age group that yep. it's there's still plenty. The, the medium is, is, let's face it, the medium to the true, if you're a true aficionado of the amateur golf, yep. the medium is, is the tournament you, you, that they want to play, that you want to look at. Yeah. You, you know, that, that's almost like the real USAM. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it gives them a that's a master's birth and everything. Sure, it does. but it's just it's going to make the state ams this summer so interesting. Absolutely, uh, and Bobby Leopold is the Rhode Island am champ, and right, and Dowling is the Connecticut am. Like those are two mid ams who would just automatically yeah, and, be. And I mean, Maine has had last few years their amateur players. It's Maine, yep. yes, it's Maine, but they're really good. Yep. They're playing at Georgia. They're playing at Florida State. Yep. Yep. And now if they maybe Cole Anderson will be really good, but maybe maybe a stadium uh, ah, I wasn't that warmed up by the stadium. I had another tournament to play in. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. This is a- this is the year. This is the year I'm really going to play the stadium. Yeah. And also kind of a neat way to just to give some kids who maybe wouldn't ever have a chance to play in the USAM like the Vermont Am is mm-hmm. probably the smallest AM event of the six, and it's a probably. stroke play event. I think that's the only stroke play event, as as I'm kind of running through them in my brain. But that's that's going to be a major deal in that yeah. in that week. That they're especially stroke play, like top five guys all coming down the stretch trying to win that and get a right. berth, and then that guy gets to go and play the USAM, and who the heck knows what happens? And you get some cool stories out of. Oh, yeah. Some kids who maybe wouldn't have qualified through 36 holes. No question. So it'll be interesting, but definitely add some great flavor to those last few days at all six state AMs and the New England AM as well. We have Sean Noonan on today from St. John's Shrewsbury High. He's the head coach there. They are the Division One state champs. He has kind of a great story. Reminds me a little bit of Bruce Chalice just as far as a guy who like got himself into golf and has just stayed in golf and done a bunch of different things and really speaks to the small world of New England golf and how it can help you and 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 then now he's kind of on the side where he's helping others. So he's our guest and let's bring in Sean Noonan, our guest today on the Encore's podcast. All right, Sean Noonan here with us in studio, made the drive. Thanks for being here, Sean. My pleasure. Great to be here. Excited to talk to you guys. Yeah, so we we chatted on the phone in the fall after after your the team you coach. You are the St. John's Shrewsbury head golf coach. Been doing it for a decade, and I wrote a story about their win at Great Horse. And we just we got to chatting about your life and your career, and and uh, golf has obviously been a, a a big part of it. And I think I said to you at the, the end of the phone call, we'd love to have you on the podcast because you've got some great stories to tell. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I guess my I, I was the ninth of eleven kids. I have six brothers, four sisters. Grew up in Central Mass. Played all sports. Just tagged along with my older brothers. Eventually got into golf by the time I was eight or nine, and then started playing kind of more competitively, eleven, twelve. And there wasn't many opportunities out there back then. We're talking nineteen eighty, so forty something years ago. And my mom had gone back to work. My dad was a chemical engineer. My mom went back and got her nursing degree after having 11 kids. And she worked <laughs> <laughs> She worked at a hospital in Worcester, St. Vincent's Hospital. 
and Green Hill used to be five minute drive from there. So every Thursday when I was a kid in the summer, Green Hill would run like a, a free nine hole junior event every Thursday morning, seven thirty shotgun. She would drop me off at seven, pick me up at four, but we'd go out as the greatest I thought it was the greatest thing ever. I'd get a hot dog afterwards. They didn't charge you to play golf. I think it was Bruce Doby was the pro and Rick Morris was the assistant back then. And they have like an eight weeks season, season long trophy at the end. So that's kind of where I got my first taste of, of competition. And I, I just was intrigued by the game and I played a lot of team sports growing up. And then I got to high school and I, it was, we played in the spring back then. So yeah. baseball wasn't an option anymore. So I, I chose golf and I obviously, I think that was the right decision. So I played at David Prouty high school and we, we took a team, three of the kids on the team had never played in, in seventh, eighth grade, and I convinced them to start playing. And by the time we got to junior, senior year, I think we finished second or third in the state one year. We won the district, so it was it was pretty cool. My, I still play with some of those friends from my high school team. So, yeah, when I finished up high school in 1986, uh, again, the college golf scene wasn't like it is now. I mean, we, we my coach and I would sit down and write letters and send letters out to coaches and you wait for letters to come back in. Right. There was no like, there was no internet, Texting. first of all. <laughs> so we reached out to a number of schools and then I took a ride down to Norfolk, Virginia and met the coach. It's one of the few coaches that would give me a, actually let me walk into his meet him. They, he, he was one of the other ones. A, it was division one. B, they had a good engineering program, which is kind of what I wanted to get into. And, and and see he, he 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 had like an open tryout which was unusual so mm, huh. so pack up parents drive me down 1986 don't know anyone there and then you got to play golf right right out of the gate um, you know to make the team we had seven qualifying rounds for, seven for the team oh, and man. it came down to the last round I was a freshman there was a senior that was him and I were tied for the twelfth and final spot. And I actually remember birding the last hole at this course, Bidewe, out in Portsmouth, Virginia, to make the team. Wow. And that changed my whole <laughs> life. I mean, sure. it changed Amazing. everyone. I, All my friends from college. I mean, actually, Jim McGovern was on that team. He had oh, transferred really? in that year from Arkansas. He had been playing with John Daly. He transferred into Old Dominion. Jim and we've been wow. lifelong friends ever since. He played 20-something years on the PGA Tour, one, one on the yeah, PGA Tour. Down in New Jersey area. Now, He's a right? New Jersey guy, yeah. yeah, big family, kind of like us. Holy um, Cross ties. Big Holy Cross family. Yeah. Good, good guy. So, again, it changed my whole life. The game of golf allowed yeah. me to, A, walk on, B, meet all these guys that I'm still lifelong friends with, and compete. By, the, by, by the, my freshman year in the fall, I actually won a qualifier to travel, and I traveled to the Iron Duke Classic. Hmm. The first tournament. So here I was, showed That's up cool. on campus as a walk-on, and then within a month, I'm, they're announcing my name at, at the Iron Duke That's Classic, really and I was more nervous for that. I still remember I popped up a tee shot like maybe 100 <laughs> yards because <laughs> they it's, said that it was my last name is very recognizable in golf, Noonan. So yeah. Yeah. They the announced it on the, oh, yeah, they announced yeah, it on yeah, the putting yeah. green, and then all of a sudden all these guys are making, <laughs> yeah. like, hey, where's Denunzio? Where's Mitchell from the <laughs> – so I was nervous enough, and then I had that, but went on, and actually that year, I traveled with the team, not every tournament. At the end of the year, I actually finished in the top 
20 in the we were in the Sun Belt Conference. We finished second as a team, I think, to South Florida back then. And that kind of gave me some confidence. Um, you know, so that was like 87. That was the year I think I we, we played at the country club. So I came home and I had a pretty good summer amateur golf. Wasn't getting in the big inv- invitational tournaments, though. Just trying to play the local events. And then yeah. the mass the mass am was always a big one for us back sure then. Sure it is. So that was the year I believe I qualified at Oak Hill, okay. and then the tournament, the, the finals was '87. Was at the Country Club in Brookline. Yeah, Kevin Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson yeah. ended up winning. He he was at Clemson. I mean, he was yeah. he had won a USGA event. I mean, that guy was he had already won the state. I believe Open. he had. Won, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was he was the man. Kevin was yeah. Kevin Kevin was really good. Unbelievable, and and he. And his brother Chip, I know well as well, and they've been staples in the Massachusetts golf uh, mm-hmm. forever. So, so then college, I I, I I was one of the few that tried to juggle an engineering and a golf. We played both fall and spring seasons, and I had top ten finishes. I had a top five finish in the our in nineteen eighty nine for our Sun Belt Conference down in Gulf Shores, Alabama, and I made the first team all conference, and and so eighty nine I was playing pretty darn well and and i think in that year i finished i played with brett quigley the last round of the eastern amateur and and it was at our home course where we practiced at old dominion and i had a top 10 finish i think jim furick i I still have the the cutout because i always say well my name's in between brett quigley and jim furick and i think they've gone on a little different trajectory (laughs) than i have especially in the the banking account end of it but I keep, I keep that in my basement just as a reminder when some of the kids, when we host a, a team event, I say, I point and I say, yeah, I used to be able to play pretty well. Yeah, a little yeah. street cred, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and then I, I dabbled around and, and then I think 1991, I, I, I had graduated and I might convince my parents that, yeah, I was going to drive to Florida and get a job at a golf course and try to start to play professionally, practice yeah. and they they saw me pack up a Chevy Nova with like 500 bucks in my pocket and they're like they were probably shaking their head like he's got a civil engineering degree and he's <laughs> he's going to be going down and cleaning putting bags on carts cleaning clubs and cleaning the carts and but that's what I they always all 11 of us they've always taught us to chase chase your dreams don't don't put limits on what you can yeah. do don't don't get out of your comfort zone and it when you have eleven kids, I, I don't know how you I don't I don't I don't know how they put all eleven through college. So how, how do you do that? <laughs> I know. I, wow, golf is such an interesting sport. That way, just packing up your car, a few bucks in the pocket, and driving south to just chase a dream. It doesn't. It, that it, that story doesn't exist in a lot of other sports. You can't be like a college basketball player and pack up and drive somewhere to just try to catch on with a team. You got to get drafted or someone's got to find you and you got to make a roster and in golf you just if you can get the right events and you can sign up and play so like when did you what point at old dominion did you realize that it was something you wanted to try and then what was the kind of overall experience being down there just kind of around other people who are chasing the same dream and and battling and just that that battle sure um well old dominion helped immensely especially because like I said, Jim McGovern had transferred in, and there was another player, Rich Prochnik, who was an All-American second team, I believe, when I got there. And one of the things I noticed right away, and which I try to do today with the high school team, is 
is once I made the team, they treated me like a brother and they didn't care. Okay. He's basically the 12th player on the team, quote unquote. And we became lifelong friends and it's a great lesson. I, I pass on to my current team, but I, I was never a guy. So I saw Jim and Rich turn pro. Rich was a better college player than Jim. And then I saw Jim win three times on the, it used to be the Ben Hogan tour to get his right. card. Yeah. So I, when I play golf with him almost every day for two years and I'm like, he was better than me, but I, I was still younger and I, I thought I could give it a shot. And one of the other things that the college golf, we had a lot of good players. You yeah. know, I, I would play four, five, six on the team, but I was still either stupid enough or crazy enough to think, Hey, I can go <laughs> compete on, compete uh, on a national level. And one of the things that I, I always say is I was ne I never thought I could be like, I want to be the best player in the world. I was like, Hey, I'd like, I'd like to finish one twentieth on the money list every year for, and do that for like yeah. 10 years, 15 years and see the whole world and play golf. Yeah. To me, that would have been the coolest thing. And that's kind of why I chased it. I ended up chasing it for a while for eight, nine years. Yeah. And I had some, a lot of highs and a, and a lot of lows. Anyone that plays this game knows, unfortunately we remember more of the bad shots than the good shots in yep. this game. But back to what you originally asked. Yeah. Old Dominion, showed me that, okay, I can compete on a higher level. We used to play at Duke. We used to play at North Carolina. We played a lot of the big schools. And golf wasn't, quite honestly, back then, wasn't an international sport yet. I mean, there was – now you look at the college ranks, and a lot of teams have four, five, six right. players from overseas. <clears throat> oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that, that journey, there's some really uh, – 1993, I actually traveled with Kevin Hester, who is, was a St. John's grad, but grew up in Worcester, and his brother Brendan. Uh, the whole family is just a golf mm. family as well. And Kevin and I traveled together uh, on a tour called the TC Jordan Tour, which then became the Hooters Tour, I guess. But it was it was run similar to like a, 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 the Hogan Tour, where, but it, you, paid your, you paid a massive entry, and you played, yeah. and if you made the cut, you'd get some money back. And yeah. So '93, I played a full schedule with him. I think we played 18 events, maybe, and I was in the top 50 on the money list that year. And and I actually, I, I had a fourth place finish that year in in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I shot 64 in the last round. So I was like, I can I can play I can yeah. play a little bit. I'm I'm a grinder. I, I'm not naturally talented, but so I went to PGA Tour school that year in 1993. I think my my parents had to do a fundraiser. <laughs> to get yeah. it was three thousand dollar entry, and then you had to pay your own way. Yeah. So they they we were we were doing raffles, we were doing whatever we had to do, and I went to Murfreesboro, Tennessee, was the first stage. Back then, they had to have three kind of. They're going back to it, I believe now, where you have multiple stages. Anyway, I went to Murfreesboro again. I was so nervous when I got there because I thought it was only a two round. They could cut you after two rounds and it cost 3000 And I'm like, <laughs> then I read the rules and they're like, no, you get four rounds. And I'm like, all right, at least I'll get four rounds. But yeah. anyway, I went out and, and I think the field was like 78 players and they cut it to 23, 24. And I went out and played, played good, shot under par for four rounds, got through, was excited. Like, wow, this is, this is unbelievable didn't even have anyone with me either. Like I couldn't afford to have a caddy. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm celebrating getting in a rental car to go back to the airport to fly, fly home at the time. And then you advance the second stage that year, 1993, second stage. I went to this place in Panama City area called the Ombre. And 
it wasn't a good decision for me. I got off the first practice round. I looked around. There's out of bounds left. There's water right every Florida hole. Yeah. And you're in second <laughs> yeah. stage of tour school. So I, I mean, again, I struggled. I mean, that that type of pressure at second stage because if you if you get through and you get to finals, then you've got some type of job the next year. Yeah, second stage it was the key one. You're in you're in no yeah. man's land if you don't advance. Yeah. So yeah. my story, unfortunately, you'll hear about second stage a lot <laughs> yeah. over the next decade, but. Anyway, that year, and the, and the, and the story on the, about that year, it was a huge learning curve, and it actually knocked me down pretty good because it was more of an internal battle than you get there, and it's just more of a mental thing. Everyone that's there that was 75 golfers, their second stage of tour school, they were all great golfers. Yeah. And one of the things that I never figured out about that, I, I'm hitting balls in the range the first practice round, and Mike Donald walks by and starts hitting balls. And I'm like, Mike Donald? Three years ago, he was in a playoff to win yeah, the U.S. Open against Hale Orwin, and yeah. I was at the, the U.S. Open in Chicago because my brother lives out there. And I'm like, I was like almost in awe. Like I shouldn't yeah. have I've been, I was more focused on what he was doing than what I was supposed mm -hmm. to be doing. So it was, uh, that one knocked me down pretty good. It took me a couple of years to, to really recover mentally because you, you felt like, all right, I'm playing, I'm playing great. So yeah, I think I, it, 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 it it knocked me down for a few years, and I wasn't playing good golf in Florida. I was working at a couple different clubs. Some of the guys I used to live with, uh, Bobby Brown, who I actually played at Green Hill when we were 12 together. We've been lifelong friends. He's a club professional down in Connecticut, and and I used to live with him in Florida. He got me a job at a golf court. We just That's the kind of small stories. Yeah. Anyone that plays golf for as long as I have, you, there's an amazing thing. So, so. 94, 95, I just kind of was playing down in Florida, trying to figure it out. 96 comes around. I said, all right, me and a couple other guys that I was practicing with, we said, let's go up to the, try to qualify for the Canadian, Canadian tour, Canadian PGA tour. Yeah. Okay. So qualifiers, we're living in Florida, West Palm qualifiers in, it's in Vancouver, Vancouver Island. The opposite so, side of the continent. So, so again, I'm driving a Chevy Nova. I, I don't have much money. I'm working doubles at the golf course to try to save some money. My parents are trying to help me, but they, my younger brother and sister are still in college. Anyway, we get on a plane. We get up to this place called Morningstar, which is a, one of the most unbelievable golf courses, just snow-capped mountains, and then you're down, and it's 70 mm -hmm. degrees, and it's just incredible. And there's bald eagles everywhere and just you had to, we flew to Vancouver and then we took like a two hour ferry to the Island and then a two hour drive. And then, so you, you're learning how to travel as well. So anyway, I get there, I play a practice round. I can't break 80, no chance. Played three practice rounds. I think I, my lowest round was 82. I'm like, what a, this is such a waste. Why, why am yeah. I here? I mean, I flew all the way across the country. I'm spending all this money. Anyway, uh, I got a late tea time the first round. I'm on the putting green. I've got no confidence at all. I'm, I'm like already thinking, all right, when, when do we take a, the ferry back? Should I, you know, is it anyway, long story short, I get on the range that morning and I, I start hitting a few shots and I start flushing it and I'm like, okay, all right, where has this been for almost two years? Yeah. And I go out in a four round tournament and I finish third in the Q school and no, no, gay won that. Q school oh, wow. here. <laughs> so then, I, then I'm like, oh my God, now what do I do? I, I don't have any money and now I've got to travel to 12 or 14 events in Canada. So we had to fly all the way back to Orlando, get our stuff. I drove home. I started flying to events and it was a great experience. I mean, it, we played all over the, what a beautiful country. And we played all over, we played in Edmonton and Montreal and Prince Edward Island and 
Ontario, just outside of Toronto. And so, it, and I struggled again. It, it became, again, a mental thing. I mean, that, that tour was pretty darn good. I think Mike yeah. Weir was the leading money winner that year. Noda played great that year. There's a couple other players that are just household names. So it was it was an awesome experience. I tell people sometimes now that I reflect, I say, yeah, I retired. I re No, I basically retired in my 20s for 10 years and traveled around the world playing <laughs> golf. And now I'm going to have to work till I'm 90 Backwards. to pay for yeah, everything. Yeah. That <laughs> so so at 96, again, I probably made three out of 12 or four out of 12 cuts. Didn't really do much. And when I, when I felt in my element, I could compete. When I didn't, I, it, it's just such a mental battle when you're a grinder. Like yeah. I, I would watch guys on the range. I wouldn't want to hit balls next to some of them. Like these guys are hitting it so right. good. Yeah. <laughs> which, which brings me back to a story back, back to 93. And I do have to tell this quickly, but uh, about playing with someone that you feel like, Oh my God, how, how am I going to compete with this person? So Back in 93, when we were playing that TC Jordan tour, I, I had made the cut and, and we were playing in this place called Foxfire in, in Pinehurst. And I get paired with Craig Perks, the third round. Craig won the Players' Championship. He's the, he's the, yeah, like oh, a yeah. six foot four New Zealand guy, yeah. like yeah. a like physical specimen. Yeah. And here I am, like, you know, what's going on? And I, I, so we're both, I think we were both at three or four under after two rounds and, and we're paired together. And it's just him and I. And he had a caddy, and I, I think I had a caddy on the weekend because I had knew I was going to be making some money, so I would get a caddy for the last two days and not have to carry my own. And we go out, and it's just him and I, and I watched this guy put an absolute ball. Just a golf display was the most amazing thing I had ever seen. Like He shot 64 and missed like four put putts inside of 10 feet, hit like 17 greens, and, and I shot two under that day and I got off the, I got off the course and I used to check in with my brothers and my dad or, or after we didn't have any cell phones back then. So mm -hmm. it was like, go to a pay phone call <laughs> talking to my brother, Tommy. And he says, what, how'd it go today? I said, yeah, I played pretty good. I shot, I shot two under, I'm at five under for the tournament, but I play with this kid that I can't ever beat. I can never beat that guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just, I said, I just witnessed and within five years, the guy was on tour. He won a players. The crazy thing is, is I think he tried to change his swing after he won the players championship, which mm -hmm. I don't, yeah, why are you changing? <laughs> well, and he, he's another one. He's like hit a mental block yep. and never, never was able to do that again. Don't, we'll never, he'll never be able to figure out why. Uh, um, it's, it's remarkable. Really. You get to a point one thing about the game is it will everyone faces that moment okay i'm good but yeah. these guys and you don't it, when you know in your heart oh my goodness yeah. that then it becomes a real challenge okay do i keep doing this or what is that aha moment for guys and that used to be one of my favorite questions yeah. to guys i i can tell you exactly yeah. when mine was <laughs> It was so anyway. After '96, I kind of bounced around, but then I came back to New England. I had, I had met my, I had met my my wife now of 25 years that that summer when I was playing in Canada, and and she lived in Newton and worked in Boston, and so I, I wanted to be around my family and I wanted to be around her. And 25 years later, everything's we got three adult kids and everything's that was the best call I made all, during yeah. the not late <laughs> '90s, I think, or mid to late '90s. Anyway, I went to tour school in 97, got to second stage, couldn't get through. Went to tour school in 98, got to second stage, 
missed by like three shots. Went to tour school again in 99, second stage. This time I was in a playoff at first stage, which they don't even do anymore. And then I was an alternate. So then I drove to South Carolina, waited on the driving range. No one withdraws, drive home. Flew to Arizona, drove to the driving range, sat on the tee. No one withdraw, got on a plane, flew home. And then I said, all right, I'm giving it one more year. One more year. And and 99 into 2000, I, I knew when I got on the plane, I I had just tried first stage. Didn't Didn't get through first stage that year, first time, basically. And I got on the plane, and I, I shot two under for four rounds, which wasn't bad. And and David Gossett, who had, was a, like a a phenom amateur, mm-hmm. shot twenty six under. So I got on the and and here I am, thirty one, thirty two, and he's twenty two, twenty three. And I got on the plane, and I knew that was it. Yeah. <laughs> I could tell. Yeah, I knew exactly when I got home, and I was okay with the decision, and I was, I was okay with it. I was like, yep. I can't beat these guys. I'm getting older. The guys coming out getting younger. <laughs> this isn't a good. The engineering part of me said, "Yeah, it's, it's time gar- to move on." And I'll guarantee you, Sean. If I went up to you that day and said, "I'll bet you a hundred dollars, David Gossett never does anything in pro golf," you would have taken the bet and lost a hundred dollars to me. Absolutely. And that tells you how inexplicable this game is. Oh. You cannot. You can't tell me why some kids get better, get better, and then get out there, and you just can't. You can't. You can't put a finger on it. You just know in your heart that it's it's an it's a, a, a string of intangibles that some some players have. Yeah, I, I mean, there's no rhyme or reason to it. I mean, no. It, 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 that's the maddening maddening part of of this great mm-hmm. game that we play is. No one can, te- like you said earlier, Sean, like that's why we have the U.S. Open. Anyone can play. And, and that's what I tell my current players is like, if you're good enough, they'll find you at a college. Or if you're good yeah. enough, you'll eventually get to a U.S. Amateur and then win a match. Or you- That's the beauty of this game. It's the, yeah. it's the love-hate relationship with golf. I mean, so anyway, I, I knew then. I, I will share one other story, kind of a funny stretch in 99. When I and and I kept going back to these tour schools because I always felt like I was still getting a little better. But uh, in '99, so that year, my wife and I got married in '90 and in '98. Of course, we booked the wedding after tour school, just in case I made it or yeah. so whatever. And then we we took a really small honeymoon, but we said, oh, we 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 both are wanted to go to Ireland, so we had booked we had booked like 10, 10 12 days in Ireland in in July. So I already had that that year. I actually made it through the local for the U.S. Open, and the sectional was down at Canoe Brook in New Jersey. Sure. And believe it or not, again, nothing's. We don't even have really computers, cell phones. I get something in the mail saying my pairing. I was paired with Jim McGovern, my my college oh, wow. roommate, wow. as Amazing. a twosome. And he 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 calls me. He's like, "Oh, we're both gonna get in. No one's watching us." I'm like, "Oh, there'll be plenty of people watching you. You're still on tour." And anyway, long story short. I played. I, I beat him in the morning round, and then I, I shot like seventy, and I'm in fourth, and I get a chance to. to it was at Pinehurst that that year, and I I went out, and again I couldn't handle it. Like shot eighty one, but he made it, and he went on to make the cut at the Open that year. So then two weeks later, Mass Mass Open at Wellesley, and so ninety eight Mass Open at Oak Hill. I was in the final round, 
with Rodney Butcher, who ended up winning that year. So fast forward, it's Rodney and I again. We're in the second or third of the last round, final round, Mass Open, Wellesley, with a chance to win. I think it, I think there was a playoff. I think a, an amateur or Jeff Curl or an amateur might have won or Kevin Quinn might have won that year. Anyway, so I'm, I'm playing really good golf, and, and I also noticed that in Ireland there was a British Open local qualifier for the British at Carnoustie yeah. that year. So back then you had to request to, they'd send it to you, mail it in. And my wife's like, well, I thought we were going on our honeymoon. I <laughs> yeah. said, well, we are, but we just, we, I have an opportunity to try to qualify and we're already over there. So yeah, why not? So we had a great trip and then uh, funny, of course, we go to this place, Drahedda, or call it Baltray. It's north of Dublin. And don't I go out and qualify <laughs> for, to go to, over to Scotland the following week to try to qualify for the open. Yeah. So I still remember I'm at Shannon Airport. I put her on the plane that I'm supposed to be on with her, and I see that thing take off because there's a golf course right at the airport. I'm she, hitting stayed balls. With, she stayed with you through all this. No, you? she went. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're still married. Yes, yeah. <laughs> she flew home, and then luckily my brother Mike had, had a business, and he had a, uh, a European uh, co-worker or what have you live in Ireland, and he came over to Scotland with me and caddied for me. But it was the coolest thing. I, I Again, some of those stories, it's almost like you're making it up. I'm like, no, I'm not yeah. making it up. Like I flew over, <laughs> she flew home, and then we played this place, Montefiath, which is like 15 minutes from Carnoustie. And I made the mistake to drive over and walk Carnoustie before trying to qualify. And I, I, I literally, again, called my brother, says, what do you think? I said, I don't know if I can break 90 there. Yeah. The, the, the rough was you wouldn't was have been the only one knee high. Well, I think Sergio shot ninety one. Yeah, and he had just won the Irish Open the week before. So I mean, Montefiore was a true links course, but it was the coolest thing ever when they announced you on the first tee from the United States. I'll never ever forget those two first tee announcements my whole life, and and that's co- again because of the game of golf. Yeah. I, mean, I grew yeah. up, I grew up playing like Green Hill and, yeah. and Bay Path and and Strawberry Hill or Leicester Hill or whatever yeah. they but public golf courses and then it, 15 years later I, I i mean i got a chance to make the british open and and it was pretty cool that year obviously vanderbilt actually won the qualifier at montefiore oh is that how he did and then it? he traveled he, he he shot 13 under at the qualifying site where i was and then he goes to the open and he's leading for 71 holes so he he had the most amazing 100 and, and whatever holes and then he gave it all away <laughs> yeah. in one one twenty minute stretch. So yeah. anyway, yeah. so then going back to yeah, I, I kind of my golf career was over playing. I had met some. I was very interested in golf construction or construction architecture. I, I, I met a few people when I lived in Florida. One one of them, a good friend of mine, Tim Freeland, who was Gary Player's lead architect back in the early nineties, all the way through maybe twenty years, and then I think he's now working by him for himself now that the golf construction world is picked back up but anyway long story short i'm looking for a job i don't know what to do with myself when tim i reached out to tim they had just signed a he was working for a management company and they had just signed a, a contract to manage the construction of wittenberry hills down in bloomfield so he called me and he said hey we might need an a, a assistant project manager you have any interest i said i was all over it yeah absolutely right. i can still stay in the golf and 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 use use my engineering and we can we can do this so so that's kind of where i i was able to at least morph from playing to something else i really wanted to do mm-hmm. and love to do so i worked on that project for for five years pete Dye came out a couple times during the construction 
Wow. It was great. Walked the whole property with them when we were just shaping it. Yeah, everything I learned about just the golf infrastructure, it, 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 it gave a whole new meaning to why we all play this game. So I did that, and, and actually <laughs> the management company went bankrupt during the like the third year I was working for them. So then I started my own company and took took control of the project and finished it for the city of, or town of Bloomfield. And and that was, uh, yeah, that was crazy. And then by, because of that, I, I did get another job in the golf construction world as a, a, a again, a, almost a clerk of the works or a, another municipal golf course was being built in southern Connecticut in Trumbull. And it was funny. They, they bring me down. And they're like, all right, we're going to hire you. And I'm like, wow, this is easy. He's like, no, we've been, we've been planning this for 11 and a half years. <laughs> they had had to jump through so many hoops and they finally got it approved. And I happened to just stop <laughs> working right at Wittenberry in. and slid into that job. And I, I think I was there for about two or three years on my own. At this point, I had started a, a consulting construction right. management company. But we, Mike Zacoris, uh, his, his dad, Al Zacoris, has done over like 100 golf courses in New England. And Mike lives in Maine, and he would come down, and it was great. We did a nine hole; it was kind of like a executive length hole, but it was it was pretty cool. Again, just to see a golf course be built from from the ground up, and uh, you know, and then right around we were getting around. I ha I had twins, and then we had a third one right right around this time. So we had three kids in in seventeen months. So we had a lot going on at home too. <laughs> so I, I don't know yeah, I don't know how we were able to always juggle it, but we just made it happen. And the kids were getting older. The only way to stay in the golf construction business was to go overseas at that point because the golf bubble was bursting, the yeah. housing market, everything was kinda sure. going at the at that time. And so I wasn't gonna leave and like I said, my get my twins were two when I finished the second course, my little one was one. Uh, I wasn't going to get on a plane and go three months at a time, and I would never do that to my wife and to, to my kids. I wanted to raise my kids so with her. So anyway, so that's kind of the, the construction end. I loved it, but it, again, it was one of those waves that golf had been overbuilt. Yeah, and, and, and there was mm. there was too many golf courses. The reports back in the nineties had the Tiger effect to it, and they were saying. We got to build X amount of golf courses every day for this many years to, and I think now with with COVID, you are seeing golf getting booming again, yeah, which is bad. great. A lot of like my friends that were architects and designers, they they were out of the business for ten years. A lot of them went yeah. to do, or they'd get small renovation projects for the clubs that had that type of budget right. to do it. But now they're all booming again, so it's great. It's great, and 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 I guess that leads us into coaching. Yeah. Uh, St. John's. So about 10 years ago, I did go to St. John's. I, again, we, we lived in Spencer. St. John's was in Shrewsbury. I, I, I took the entrance exam and it was on the waiting list and, and was going to go. My brother-in-law had just started working there. He had been dating my sister. His name is Pat White. He's been dating my sister, Karen, since I was like four years old. So yeah. he had, he had, oh, he was working at the Big school families. in the early, early eighties Anyway, I went. I, I I took the exam, didn't get it. Went to Prouty. That was fine. I could walk to Prouty. I I couldn't have my family try to get me to to Shrewsbury. Anyway, about a decade ago, my son was in seventh grade, and he had already drank the Kool Aid about St. John's because we had a lot of nephews and nieces, and my my brother in law was still there, and he has just since retired a year ago. And Coach Prendeville had been there for forty three years, the coach previous to me, 
and, and Bill, who I have a great relationship with, and, and he, he's, he comes up and sees us whenever he can physically. Um, he, he notified the school that he was not going to come back, but he, he waited in, until the summer, which was, we play fall golf. So, you know, they were under the gun to try to find someone. And, and my brother-in-law at this time now had been, he's, he was now the athletic, athletic director at St. John's. <laughs> and he reached out to me and he said, Hey, do you have any interest in, in coaching golf? And I said, yeah, let me think about it. I, I've coached my kids and all the sports, youth sports. I, I really enjoyed coaching. But and I know both sides of golf. It's an individual sport, and then you got to try to coach it as a team, and it's very, very difficult to yeah, try to juggling get the kids to to buy in because all year long they're trying to beat each other in these other events, and then you try to get them together and say, "No, we got a common goal." So, so yeah, I, I went through some interviews, and, and they they offered the position. I took it. I didn't know what to expect. High school golf. I didn't know. I had kids that were younger, and my son ended up. Liam ended up coming up two years later and, and going to school there. And he actually played for me, which was the coolest thing ever to, to be able to still coach your kids in high school. Usually by the time you get to eighth grade, sorry, now onto the high school rank. So that was cool. And my girls both played too. And my wife is now playing golf. So it, it it's a family affair, but the, the coaching aspect, I learned a lot of, a lot about myself and, and coaching because I had to take a whole new role in the game of golf. You're always, I used to, my first few years, I really struggled with the kids that weren't putting in the time. Yeah. And it, it bothered me because I, I was always, I didn't have enough talent. I had to put the time in. Right. I had to try to outwork people. But then I learned to, to actually embrace those kids and, and work with them more. And the kids that I, early on in my coaching career, I, I would get so mad. I'm like, how can you shoot that score? And, and then I'd say, wait a second, maybe yeah. I can go help them instead of, and it kind of changed the way I approached it. Most of the kids, most of the players, I mean, you, you did a story this year. I mean, we get fantastic golfers. Yeah. I mean, this isn't, yeah. we're lucky. I mean, us and the, the rest of the Catholic Conference, we, we get the best junior, the best junior amateurs in the state going to these schools. Right. Uh, golf, I think, is one of the few sports left that the, the, the academies haven't ripped the good players away, meaning like the prep schools. Right. You know, golf is, the, pub, the MIA golf is still, where to where it is really good when and, and unfortunately basketball and football and other sports are kind of getting fractured because of kids yeah. declassing and saying i'm going to go an extra year and then they so we don't deal with that with golf so so i mean we it's it's been a pleasure to coach the kids this year was just a dream season like i i can't say enough because two years ago so the the, the my my I had seven seniors on the team. Three of them had never even played varsity before. So that was cool that I was able to keep 13. But I had players like Nick Gebhard. Um, I had been a, a stalwart on varsity for three years and, and a leader. And, and then I had a couple other seniors. So we had some leadership. And then we had some younger players that were really coming into their own. But these guys were all working. They were playing in the offseason. That's all I've ever asked them. I said, stay competitive. There's sure. a lot of... There's a lot of opportunities for you guys, unlike nine holes at Green Hill on the back no. nine at 7 o'clock. That was our competition back in the 1980. But now they're traveling all over the, the country oh, playing. And, and so the, it was a dream season, but it, it was a culmination of I, I get a lot. I got a lot, ton of texts and calls from ex-players, and I just said, this is for all you guys. I mean, we 10 years in, I think we had two runner-ups, a third, a fourth, a fifth. 
So we're always right there, and it's you have to do it that one day. So to win a state championship by eleven strokes, I think you and I talked. Yeah. It was that's like that's like a thirty point basketball win or something. Yeah. I mean that's the value of every shot. And we we that's we went seventeen and one in the season, lost to Zavarian by one stroke, and then ran the tables everywhere else. So so I and and the, and the most fun of the whole thing is now it, it's I feel like we have like the Stanley Cup because every every couple of weeks one of the parents is saying, hey, we're having another celebration. Coach, can you come <laughs> by? And I'm like, this is great. Yeah, we just got rings. A local businessman in Shrewsbury stepped up and bought the team rings, and it's just been a fantastic journey. Yeah, and I said, good. No one's going to take it for a year, so we're going it, to. It, yeah. it feels like yeah. the Stanley Cup. So sure it does, and, and because it's a, it's it's the magic of golf is it is an individual sport, and you you really, but that element of high school and college golf where, okay. I just I, I'm only shooting seventy four today, but what's what are the kids behind me doing? What is someone else doing? That makes it special. That absolutely, and, and, I, and, it, and it is a tough. It, it is twist. One of the things I'll say that. about two of the senior captains, okay, Tim Breen and, and Matt Lemay were two of my captains, and I think we spoke. So I had to make a, a hard decision to leave them off the top six, and they were two senior returning captains. But I made the decision for the team because I said the the other players are playing better than those two at the time. Right. And they couldn't have been bigger cheerleaders at the state tournament. They were there. Yeah, yeah, they were – not only were they there, they were just as excited as anyone that played, which really that's what we want to build in a program. You're like, it's bigger than you. Golf is so individual, like you said, Jim. Like you're always trying to beat everyone else, but – High school and college are really the only times that you can you can you might play bad, but you're still rooting for mm-hmm. your teammate, and so there's nothing like it. And 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 I tell, I the only thing I ever try to tell them, a lot of them didn't even know I played competitive golf. Some of the <laughs> yeah. some of my players, because it's not about me. It's always about it's... I wanted the, the program and the and the and the and the, the kids to and the players to succeed. And but I, I would just say we, you're building a good foundation. Every year, that's kind of what we try to do, build a good foundation. And I tell them that then you can take that in life, too. Right. And, and if you have a good, sound foundation and, and you have good friends and family and faith, you you can accomplish anything. And and I think we talked briefly about Curtis McDonald. And I'll, I'll briefly touch yeah. on this. And then Curtis Fourth year senior, first year on varsity, never played a varsity match. Usually we try to bring up a player or two during the season if a junior's on JV and he's playing well, we might bring him up. He didn't play well enough as a junior, and then all of a sudden he comes to comes to us for tryouts and plays well and then just continue to snowball his confidence. And we get to the end of the season, and that was one of the – some of the coaches – we, we got together and a couple of the coaches on my staff were like, should we leave Curtis off? He's, he's never had experience in the state finals. And I said, no, he's one of our best six players. Yeah. So, and then he went out and shot 77 in the, in the state championship and was a counting score in a state championship yeah. team. So, I mean, that's that again, that story, I'll use that story for the rest of my coaching career <laughs> is how yeah. he, he kind of, he, he just kept working. Right, well, it's, working. It's program versus a team, right? You're you, correct. You just that those, whether it's college or high school, just the the most successful, long term teams are built around a program and not just a group of talented individuals who end up on a team and it's 
kind of like happenstance that these six good golfers just happened to go to St. John's at the same time, but they were nurtured and, and the, and a program is built and you have a JV, you have a JV team as well, which kind of feeds up into a varsity. So, and the school actually just started a middle school. So we're the only central mass. Cool school that I'm aware of that has a middle school program as well. That's true. I mean, it, 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 because you're right about in a whole, there's a whole generation. The kids today would probably think you were growing up in the dark ages if you told them. Well, the 1900s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 That's see. what my kids used to say. I was born in the 1900s. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's see. We had the CYO championship. Yep. We had the brain. Uh, I'll stick to Greater Boston because yep. that's where I know. You had the CYO championships, the Braintree four ball, yep. and maybe the state junior. You tried to get in the state junior, and yep. that was it. Everything was it. else, everything else was you. Were, and you then were, I think the New England junior <laughs> amateur was at Ponky, and it was a match play. Yeah, down at Ponky. But it, you, other than that, you played when you could get yeah. out at Ponky or Furnace Brook or oh, the Worcester yeah. Elks used to have a tournament yeah. and we'd play in the, you know what I mean like it was so the, they amazing. didn't have these opportunities and now now that more kids are you know learning how to play the game at a young age I'm, I'm a member of the Milton Hoosick and I'm looking at these kids and Milton High had a yeah. pretty good team yeah. this year Canton has a very good team and you're looking at these kids and all you want for them is opportunities to play. And it's difficult when there is there's a high school team, but mm, I can only play six at a time. But I want to carry 10 or 12 kids yep. because <clears throat> practice practice rounds end up being way more entertaining and way more productive if you have kids that want to play. You just want kids to play. No, no question about it. We do a lot of team building, like chipping contests, putting contests. If we're, if if mm. if the course is too busy, and we can't get out, we still try to get together. And you just want them. I, I tell them, just keep your hands on a club. You're, it's going to help you in anything you do. If you go into right. business, or you, it's going to help. Right. But you can also make the. I mean, I I don't know any. It, it's I don't think kids go out for the high school football team because they want to play in the. NFL. They don't even, I mean, they just want to play football. And kids, not every kid is out there thinking, oh, maybe, yeah, oh, I could be the next Tiger Woods or the next Jordan Spieth or something. They just want to play golf. And for years, the school environment wasn't where you did that. I mean, it was like, okay, let's put together a golf team. Now it's, now they are, it's, it's really a, become an event now the mia high school golf tournaments are really competitive they play at good golf courses you know who the kids are and all the power to coaches like you who you know still yeah give me 12 kids give me a jv program all the power to you well, and the middle school. Now I know. Okay, am I yeah. going to stick around? We got two really good seventh graders, or <laughs> yeah. something like that. But it's now it's been it's been more rewarding than I thought it would be coaching, just because of the relationships. And and my wife, she'll say because there's a lot of long bus trips, and you, you get home late. And we have three kids in college, and they're all down south, so it's she's home with the dogs, and she's like, oh, what time are you getting mm-hmm. off the bus in Shrewsbury, and then drive to Sturbridge. 
And so when we win this year, she said, is, is, is that it? <laughs> then she's like, no, I saw, she didn't even ask me cause she saw like a, one of the kids put an Instagram up of me saying, I'll be back next year to help you guys defend. And she didn't even, she, I got home. She's yeah. like, couldn't you have waited to tell me or yeah. <laughs> we were just joking about it. And, and because it's hard to walk away, like I, now I've got a freshman that's on varsity, so I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm going to leave him right. his sophomore year. So it's, it, it becomes more about what we want it to become about, right. the program and the kids. Than, yep, correct. Than, than me getting all the accolades is, is great for the school. That's why, that's why I'm here, too, is like – it's a great story because we, we came in and beat a lot of the Boston teams, and that's, that's hard to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot of good players, and like you said, they they have so many more opportunities, which is great. It's growing the game. I mean, yeah, I, I hope all the the guys that do it on TV aren't the ones growing the game per se. It's it's no. the, it's they grow in the bank. It's coaches. It's it's PGA it's, uh, club yeah. pros. It's in, in instructors. It, it, yeah, you know, they're growing the game. Yeah, it's families that give up their golf courses, like the yeah, right the Maroney family and, get, gives yeah. up. Their golf course, they have simulators in the winter. I mean, we, we're blessed. Yeah, that's the stuff for sure. Yeah. Because it is, I mean, that you're teaching a valuable. The reason you don't play, you're not going to play football and baseball and, well, you can still play hockey and stuff like that. But my point is always to kids, yeah, enjoy enjoy what you're doing here because golf is what you're going to be playing the rest of your life. Yep. Um, Absolutely. And, it's going to be there's still some really really good players that take pride in the fact they were on a good golf team in high school or in college never never under the impression that oh I I was number six player that Hopkinton the kids who played at Hopkinton will still talk about playing alongside Keegan yeah they they probably had the greatest high school team in Massachusetts history I mean that was just happenstance but Maybe they thought, oh, geez, Keegan could play college golf and we'll go from there. The others just w- were playing golf because yeah. they loved it. And I'll guarantee you. Some I think John Kern kids, was on that team. John Kern was yeah. on that team. John was a year. John John was actually the the yeah. the, the well-known <laughs> yeah, the kid. Yeah. The point being that all those kids, I still know Kim Dunneman was on yep. that team, yep. took, took golf, helped get her into Duke, and she still plays golf. It's a big part yeah. of her life. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is. And, and we were fortunate a couple of weeks ago. They 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 unveiled the banner, put oh, it up cool. in the gym at 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 St. John's during a basketball game. And I told the boys, I said, "Look, when you guys come back to this school, yeah. that banner is always going to be there. Yeah. And you're one of eight state championship golf teams at St. John's in the last 125 years. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, they can't stuff. take that away and the friendships they've made as a team and when I told them that's part of the why we were successful is everyone was picking everyone up all year I mean it's, even though you're winning we were having different guys contribute in different ways every every match so no one kind of I, I even said we didn't have like a super talent because I don't have any none of the seniors have committed to even play college golf yet which I hope hopefully will change for Nick um you know, so, but it's, they'll never be able to take that away from them. Right. So, yep. Yeah, but someone who has a text change with my high school and college golf teammates, it's like, those are the, those are the things, those yeah. are the friendships that, yeah. Yeah. that last. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. All the weddings and, and, yep. All the good times I've been all over the country with my old teammates from Old Dominion and David Proudy, even. And yeah. 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 
and now St. John's. So now they're dragging the coach in. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll do it. Well, this was uh, this was great. Thank you for joining us. We asked you for thirty minutes, and we've gone we've gone fifty one, and we could probably go another fifty one if we wanted <laughs> easily. I could yeah. talk, I could talk to both you guys yeah. for days. I mean, and, and I didn't even scratch some of the stories because there's some are made for radio, and some probably won't be right. able to be told out loud. <laughs> But no, thank you for the opportunity, and you guys do a great job. Thank you. I've been telling everyone to go on and subscribe because I yeah. got a big family, and I'm like, well, you can go read that. <laughs> there we go. We'll get a bunch of those. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, thank you, and we'll have have to have you back on again and get. To Hopefully get some next more, year we'll be having another absolutely uh, another trophy. I appreciate right. it. Yeah. Thanks, Sean. Bye. Thank you, Sean. Thanks. Thanks to Sean Noonan for joining the podcast, and we are just going to do a, it's golf confident golf course confidential. We do this. At the end of every episode, it is February. What is it? Ninth today, as we mm-hmm. as we speak. The weather is going to be strikingly warm this weekend. But you will be listening to this after everyone is putting on their suntan lotion and going outside <laughs> into that fifty five degree weather. But I I thought we could just quickly run through instead of focusing on one golf course. It is still winter. There are golf courses that are open in the winter, and we've talked about some of them on Golf Course Confidential. Cape Ann, we've talked about. Cape Cod Country Club, Crosswinds, we've talked about a bunch. So there's there are tons of golf courses that if you want to play some late winter, early spring sure. golf, you can go play. If you are not one of those people who likes to brave the cold and put on six layers and go play on an icy golf course, which there are many of you, and sometimes, to be honest, I am one of them, there are a bunch of places you can just go and practice and play. Hit balls indoors mm-hmm. uh, so i i just wanted to give a a shout out to a few places that i have been that i appreciate that are kind of different types of places if you're looking for different spots obviously top golf have you been to a top golf not up here in florida in florida okay yeah. i have not been to top golf ever but there's obviously two now in new england there's mm-hmm. one in cranston and there's one in is it canton would be where it is, just off 95, right on the highway. You can see it from the highway. You it's, can see it from 95. Yeah, that's for sure. Can I can confirm. It. Producer Dave can confirm. It's in Canton. I it's drive. Canton. I drive by there all the there time. They go. created a new like off ramp of the highway. Right. For, for the, Are you serious? For the top golf. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. All right. So top golf taking over Canton. That's obviously like the fun. Grab a beer. Go on a date. Bring the family. Uh, mm-hmm. All that kind of corporate events and all that stuff. So that's kind of one side of it. Maybe not the grinder spot. That's not where you go if you want to grind and you want to practice no, and you're, you're looking at, you're you're looking looking at numbers. Your, if you're looking for your ball speed, you don't go to <laughs> no, top top no, golf. Well, no. I mean, you could, but... You're going to um, be distracted. Yeah, there's a whole genre. Of, I mean, there's locker rooms throughout New England now. They're all setting up nets in their locker rooms. Yep. And it's, Wollaston Golf Club has two beautiful... Launch, launch, indoor sims, kind of, yeah, the simulators and stuff, and you're making tea times, yeah, so, yeah, yes, you're booking time. People, and... people do love hitting. They they'd rather be outside, sure, but they'll they'll go inside December, January, February, and hit balls. Yep, a place, another place that's indoors, but you can hit outdoors. That is pretty great. Is the barn which is down in Souther's Marsh. Oh, yeah. So that's a place where you are inside in warmth, but you're you're hitting golf balls out of the barn, out of big garage doors onto a onto a range. So that's kind of like you're starting to get to this is this is fun. I'm seeing my ball, I'm seeing it fly outside. I get the 
Top Tracer or Trackman or whatever they have there. So the Barn in Plymouth is another good one. That's south of the city as well. Core Golf, that's more of like they have an indoor spot. They also they are open. I get lessons there, and I I've been there on thirty forty degree days on walking kind mm-hmm. of across icy snowy ground, and it is open, and you can go and hit balls if you want to if you want to be outside and just hit balls for thirty forty minutes. That's another place. So Core Golf. Is a is a good spot. I don't know if right. you frequent core golf. I know of it. I know many of the the instructors, yep. the people behind it. Awesome spot. Yep. Trackman across the whole range. You can just right. have the app and it'll tell you how far your ball is carried and uh, and traveled in all. It's 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 pretty great. In the city, Five Iron Golf, which is a brand new. It's a it's new. It's a year old now, yeah. but it's kind of an. They're in cities all over the country. That's kind of their that's kind of their thing. There's a bar you can. I've I've gone and done the morning. You can kind of grind. It's a twenty minute walk for me. If you remember, they will store your golf clubs, which is which is kind of nice. You can stick some wedges in your backpack and walk down the street and go hit balls at five iron. And then the last place is Pure Drive, which is in Woburn. Adam Koloff, who I went to school with and was a very very good junior player. Worked under Jim McLean down at Liberty National as well. He worked there, um, like Golf Digest top instructor and all that stuff. But he has a great five bay. This is where you go and grind. This is like this is the grinder place. They have one TV in each bay, but you're not getting beers. You're you're getting numbers, and you're looking at your at your stuff. And they have some great instructors there as well. Another place, if you live kind of north of the city, I know you're not a big north of the city guy, but not often. <laughs> in Woburn, it's easy enough to get to. I live, I live in Charlestown, and it's a when there's no traffic, it's a 15 minute drive up there. You can book an hour, hour and a half, two hours. They have a they have a putting simi. They have one of those putting mats, okay, crazy ones that will show you the putting lines yeah. and kind of slant and slope. They have one of those. You can book for 30 minutes to an hour if you want to work on your putting. So that's a another one. Do you have any places that you know of that you like to go to, or are you just walking outside with your nine iron or your e club and, and no. slapping it around? You know what? I used to be the type of guy I'd go. I'd just go up. Okay, I'm going to take a walk. And yeah, find a golf course, and I, sometimes you just I'd take a seven iron and just hit four seven irons into try to reach a par five or yeah. something like that. Then I kind of got away from that because then I started getting guilty about, oh, my goodness, taking divots in December, January, February, and they're not going to grow back till August. So I don't do that as much anymore. I will go. I will make the journey down to the Cape. I'm uh, obviously, I've said it before, I'll forever say it, that Highland Links and Choro and and, um, Chiquesset, um, I know they're open right now because my friend tweets out photos of what Chiquesset is looking like today. Yeah. I will tend to do that more. I go, I'll hit balls inside yep. occasionally, Yep. but I am not really, I don't need, nah, I shouldn't say You're that. not trying to make the USAM here, Jim. No, right? and I don't need numbers because I know what they are. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're low. They're low numbers. They're not big numbers. I I just I do like hitting balls into nets. Yeah, and because you can, I don't need to look at the ball. You can feel you feel the contact for sure. Yeah, there's no. I get nowhere Harmon Club. If you if you yep. like, a, I know the people down there. That's a good place to go. 
I also think winter is the time. If you love the game and you love to play, you can you can spare ten days away from your clubs. Get them regripped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the time to do it. Yep. There are several eye golfs around that are very very good. Yep. And they all serve a purpose. Sure. So if you well, I want to drink a beer and take five swings and drink. There's those places, yep. top golfs, but check out some of the eye golfs on the South Shore. We have some. You, you'd be surprised how if you if you haven't done it, you can get a lot out of it if you if you take the time to study it. For sure, yeah. X golf, X golf is another one I want to shout out because I've written a oh, written yeah. something in the in our magazine about them as well, and they have a, a bunch of locations. There's one in Acton. There's one in. Wayland, there's one kind of, there's a bunch on the South Shore, maybe in Walpole. Right. So X-Golf is another place that people tend to like as well. So just wanted to kind of give a quick wrap as as the weather starts to warm, but it will no doubt get cold again and we'll have these little fake spring moments. But mm-hmm. if you're looking for places indoors to hit balls, outdoors, if you want to go play, we just mentioned a few golf courses that are typically open during the year. And, and that kind of does it for today's podcast. So thanks for listening to the Encore's podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe. We are on all of the platforms, including YouTube, so go check us out there. Thanks to Dave Yaz for producing this podcast and for fact-checking, as always. The Encores podcast is a Siemens Media production. <laughs>